Welcome back to the Fantasy Baseball Buds Podcast. I'm your host, Matt, here with my other host, Richie. We've got a fun show for you today. We are talking prospects, AL Central, as well as our trade strategy. So to kind of kick it off today and to bring Richie in, we're going to start off with our icebreaker. We are going to talk about the worst trade we have ourselves done in the last, say, 10 years over memory. So Richie, how are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks for having me back on the show, Matt. Um, so worst trade I've done, I think it was two years ago, it was when Sonny Gray went from the Yankees to the Reds and he had a horrible season. I took a shot on him and he was having a fantastic year, but nobody believed it. And I was desperate for closers. And it was the time I believe Jordan Hicks was the closer for the Cardinals. And he went down, I think with Tommy John, it was an end season ending injury. And I immediately went and all the reports were saying John Gant was going to be the reliever. So I hopped on right away. I was like, I'm going to sell high on Sunday Gray, buy low on John Gant. I impulsed and I sent the trade offer. It was accepted right away. The following day, it turns out John Gant was either going to be in a closer by committee or he wasn't even the closer. And it was by far the worst trade because now Sonny Gray is $6 on somebody else's team. And, uh, Arguably a top 30 pitcher, depending on who you talk to. But uh, what about you, Matt? What's your worst trade that you've done? Yeah, I remember that trade you made. And it, it, at the time, it was even it was kind of hard to stomach because the reports like hours after you made the deal were that he was not going to be the closer. But you did. You jumped on You jumped on opportunity. It just didn't work out. That happens sometimes. Mine wasn't nearly... As egregious, uh, my, mine was more of just a mistake. I had traded years ago Harper, that being Bryce Harper, Felix Hernandez on the Mariners. I ended up buying Bryce Harper back for $20. That was something that ultimately went into our rules Bible that you are not allowed to trade money. So that's kind of the mat rule. It was pretty shady, but I just couldn't live with myself for having traded Bryce Harper. So I felt the need to buy him back. Uh, and I think I probably won the championship that year, so even more collusion. But those were my younger years. I am on a better track now, I would like to say at least. But Richie, moving along, you made a trade this week. You want to go ahead and tell the listener what, what kind of value you got and kind of where your head was at with this trade? Yeah, so as you guys know, if you've listened to our previous podcast, I have a $50 Nolan Arenado and when he got traded from the Rockies to the Cardinals, I thought that significantly decreased his value. And at least for my team with my structure and the amount of salary I have, he wasn't worth keeping. So what I did was I took some of my pitching depth, took a $17 Chris Paddock and a $3 Dylan Bundy, and I traded him for a $28 Anthony Rendon and a $1 David Fletcher. And by doing that, I obviously shed some money by now I can no longer keep Nolan Arenado, but I got rid of some pitching um, money that was tied up in somebody that I didn't believe in, Chris Paddock. I don't think the Padres believed in him, and hence the reason why they keep signing all these starting pitchers. And Dylan Bundy, we've talked about before, his fastball just keeps decreasing, and near the end of the year, pitchers are um, figuring him out. So I think all in all, it worked out well for me. Um, what do you think of that trade? And then I believe you also made a trade a couple we a week ago. So I'll let you talk about your thoughts. And then what about your trade? Yeah, um, this is kind of something we'll touch on in a little bit here. But my my trade philosophy is always to hold on 
to as much talent and assets as you can. I like Rendon on your team. I really do. Uh, I think he's a cheaper option than Arenado, obviously. I think he's a higher producer than Arenado. Um, but from my own like specific strategy, I would have held on to the pitching depth, which is kind of an irony since my trade was very similar to yours. And I think that kind of is a preface for the listener. My team and your team are pretty much set. We've got about maybe one or two guys that we will not keep of a 25-man team, and we're going to have to draft new ones, right? And I think that's an issue from other teams because other guys are only going to keep about 10 guys. So we're already kind of in a roster crunch. So you trading two players really is allowing you to draft new guys, maybe at more of a value or more be, maybe guys that are going to produce more for you this year. So I totally get it. As I said, very similar situation with my trade. I traded Jose Barrios, Debbie Garcia, and Pablo Lopez for two relief pitchers. My roster currently doesn't have any relievers. We do start two relief pitchers. So I decided to go out and get two of the best on two of the best teams, being Araldis Chapman and Trevor Rosenthal, who's now in the athletics. I think it'll really benefit my team. There is some some money attached to these players. Barrios is at about $17 with two years of team control left. You go at uh, Pablo Lopez for, I think, about a dollar for four full years of team control left. And then Debbie Garcia as well. I think Debbie's got at $6 for four more years. So a lot of control that I gave up. But again, when you have a team like mine where before this deal, I was looking at being able to draft not a single player, opened some windows for me, allowed me to make some decisions. So I think overall it was what was right. Richie, I'd give your trade... Honestly, a B plus. What's the grade on mine, and uh, what's maybe the reasoning? Yeah, so uh, just so everyone listening, Aroldis Chapman's fifteen dollars and Trevor Rosenthal's two dollars for Matt. So Aroldis Chapman, um, not really um, worth keeping at an additional five dollar price. So you're pretty much getting him for this year. Trevor Rosenthal, two dollars. He's worth keeping if he pr- produces like anywhere close to Liam Hendricks did when he was on the Athletics. I think it, it benefits both teams because the team you traded with heavily needed starting pitching. They get they get a, a guy right away that they can slot in with Jose Barrios and also take a shot long-term with Debbie Garcia. Pablo Lopez is just a throw-in in my mind. Um, so short-term, I definitely think you win the trade. Long-term, I think they definitely benefit because Jose Barrios is still young and arguably a top-20 pitcher. I think short-term, I give you... A B plus, A minus. Long term, I think I give you a C plus. Um, but uh, that that brings up a good point of trading philosophy. You're going for the win now approach. So uh, let let's talk about what is your overall strategy when you're approaching somebody and trying to work out a trade. Yeah, no, it's a good uh, a good topic, and it's something that we struggle with every single year in our league. As we had mentioned, my team, your team, a few other teams, we are solidified to run for a championship this year, possibly next year. You know, our windows are open. But this is something I have done since the very beginning of fantasy baseball and the dynasty concept. I stack my bench with at least four minor leaguers of high potential. And usually, I will not move them. A couple years ago, I traded Wander Franco for an asset package. I ended up actually reacquiring Wander Franco last year for Marcel Ozuno which cost me a championship because my outfield did not have the production that Marcelo Zuna did at the end of the year. But it was a risk I had to take, and Wander Franco is now back on my team. So when I'm in trades, I don't let those guys go. 
those are my those are my top tier guys and make it very well known that those guys will not be moved and for the most part I'm willing to move really anything else but what I try and really do is stay away from being in positions of need this uh, relief pitcher trade that I just made was a position of need I didn't have any relief pitchers I was thinking about going into the draft and allowing certain players to walk accumulating no value from them and instead I said you know what let's go ahead and make a move the team that I traded for would have taken Jose Barrios alone, they told me after the trade. So to add Debbie and to add Pablo Lopez were simply benefits for them. So that kind of got me, but I think my overall philosophy is you know, showcasing the need for the other team, building up some of the other young players that I am willing to move, and, and really painting a picture of their ultimate potential. Because usually if I pick up a guy, he's going to be a good player. And that's kind of a cocky, confident remark, but me and you both, Richie, know these young players, these top 100 prospects, even top 150 so well. We have a really good gauge on who's going to play well. So if I'm offering him to you or he's on my team, you should already know that you are getting a good asset. But what do you? what's your philosophy, Richie? What are some of the things that you like to use? What's your overall scheme? Yeah, so my overall thing is getting to know the player you're trading with. You need to understand how your league operates and the people within them. Some people like getting caught up, like talking to you, um, being on a constant text or call basis, and then you can work in the trade talks, you know, because those types of people, they don't like not hearing from you for two months, and then you just cold call, hit them with the text, say, hey, I'll trade you player A for player B. That kind of rubs them the wrong way. Other players are all for it, and they're like, yes, let's, let's start talking trades. So it depends on the player understand who you are that kind of goes into that psychology of it the other thing is there's there's two types of strategies that i like to do not necessarily whether it's prospects or need-based like what you were saying matt but necessarily of uh, a position and seeing the weaknesses and strengths of each team if i like for instance um in the trade i most recently saw i saw that i had a wealth of pitching depth, Chris Paddock and Dylan Bundy, as it sat right now, weren't even going to be in my starting five rotation. And the best pitching that that team that I traded with had Carlos Carrasco. And then I think the next best player they had was like Mike Miner. So no pitching whatsoever. However, I identified that they had Chris Bryant and Anthony Rendon. So I used that to my advantage and told them, hey, listen, you can give up Anthony Rendon and still have a quality third baseman, Chris Bryant. And guess what? Now you bolster your pitching staff and you get a number two and three starter who are going to produce more points for you than having two third basemen. And kind of identifying what you have can benefit their team and that they have that's going to benefit your team. Now, that doesn't always work out. Um, in that way and work out perfectly like that and also take some maneuvering and um, convincing and telling them this is why you should have this guy and talking up the players like for instance I told you guys I'm not um, high on Chris Paddock because he only has two pitches and the Padres are signing all these players and they have Mackenzie Gore and Dylan Bundy has fastball velocities down however you don't want to say that when you're trying to get rid of those players. So you talk about how Chris Paddock is a young emerging star. He's got the best changeup in the game. And Dylan Bundy, he's got the best splitter. And he's got a good team backing him up. He's projected for more points. He's a fly ball pitcher. And the dead ball is going to limit his home runs. You've got to use those things to your advantage. 
Um, I know some people in our league, I'm not going to say names, what they, what they try to do in their tactics is the players they want, they try to detriment and say, Anthony Rendon, he's trash. Why do you even want him? You should just get rid of him. And that just rubs the players the wrong way. Um, so that's pretty much my overall philosophy is identifying the needs and kind of just talking up the players that you're selling and just being kind of upfront and be like, listen, hey, this is why I want want this player. I, I told them, you know, I'm, I'll be honest with you. I'm trying to cut salary with Nolan Arenado and I'm looking for a quality third baseman and I have pitching to give up. And they were respectful and courteous and I think that's what o overall helped them because a lot of people are sneaky in our league and have a hidden agenda and sometimes just being up front and telling the truth can go a long way. Yeah, no, that's that's something that I like to use in my strategy too and I, I should have kind of started mine off with that. I handle trades much differently than a lot of people in our leagues and even you in the past. You know, your approach is a little bit uh, slower. You take your time. You build a relationship. I definitely, definitely will text a person and say, "Listen, I'm I'm looking to trade, and I'm going to go 80% of the way already. Right? I'm going to offer Jose Barrios and say, this is this is a top gun. You know, he's out there for you. I'm not going to start off with Pablo Lopez at 10% and start to scratch the dirt. You know, and disrespect somebody because again, other people in our league will absolutely do that. They'll start with a disrespectful offer. And for me personally, if you're going to send me that, I'm not trading with you this season. Again, back to Mr. Reed Martin, Captain Dingus. He's perfect at that, you know? <laughs> Let me just text somebody and see if I can give him Blake Snell for Walker Buehler, even though there's a $30 price difference and age difference and talent difference, just so that I can disrespect him. These are the types of things I completely steer away from. I, I feel like as fantasy managers, we have to respect one another and our, and our knowledge. But enough about trades. I think we go ahead and uh, kind of transition into our top 10 prospects. So, Richie, I'm going to have you kick it off. Why don't you go ahead and list your top 10, and then why don't you stop and evaluate, say, three of them and why you really like those guys. Okay. Um, and, and just so that everyone knows what we're talking about with top prospects, we're talking about the top prospects at the beginning of 2022. Um, and so this kind of gives people listening an idea of if they want to get a head start or kind of project a year out, kind of, Think about who's the next emerging star. Like you were on Juan Soto a year before he was a top prospect. I was on Acuna the year before he popped and Pete Alonso the year he popped. And I think we have a good feel and sense of how overall MLB um, scouts kind of view these players and how they progress and the talent level that they have there. So the, the top 10 players I'm going to list are ones that I think are not even going to touch the majors in any way, whether it's a late August or September call-up, um, just because, you know, technically Cabrian Hayes this year, Ian Anderson, Sixto Sanchez are considered prospects this year. However, they're going top 200 in drafts and everybody knows them. So in my mind, they're not truly prospects. So I'm going to get started um, with my top 10. Number one, Spencer Torkelson, third baseman. Number two, Julio Rodriguez, outfielder. Number three, Marco Luciano, shortstop. Number four, Jason Dominguez, outfielder. Number five, Grayson Rodriguez, starting pitcher. Number six, Azalacy, starting pitcher. Number seven, Bobby Witt Jr., shortstop. Number eight, Tristan Casas. Number nine, George Kirby. And number 10, Max Meyer. 
So these are all players that I think will be near the top of the chain next year and will be kind of the hype. I want to talk first about Spencer Torkelson. Um, obviously, massive power. Um, I, I don't think he's going to get brought up this year, however. And they have Jamer Candelario, and they also have two extra years of control. So I think he's the Band-Aid fix there. Let's be honest. The Detroit Tigers have nothing they're playing for. Um, he got drafted last year. I believe it was first overall. And... He did some work at the alternative training site, but it wasn't enough for him to get that exposure, I think, where they're going to bring him up right away. Um, what are your thoughts on Spencer Torkelson, Matt? Well, I am the proud Dynasty owner, uh, Spencer Torkelson, so I think that can show you how much I love Spencer. Um, I do think he's coming up this year, unlike you. He's going to be left off my list, and I, I don't really have it any you know, behind the scenes insight for you as to why I believe that. I just think his, his bat to ball ability is major league ready. And I think with the young talent in Manning and Mayas and Scooball already being in the majors, I think they bring him up. But if they bring him up, you know, he's going to struggle at 21 years old. I know he's the first overall pick, but there's not a lot of protection in that lineup. And I could really see pitchers challenging him. So, based on your, do you think he's going to get brought up like in April, in June after the Super Two, or do you think he's going to get just a little I think he's cup an, of coffee near the end? What I, What are your thoughts? I think he's an odd one, right? Because this, the Super Two is normally in April. Guys come up, you know, April, early uh, May, and I think they bring him up in either June or July. You know, when they're going to have some success with Manning and Scooball and Maya's, and I think what they're going to see is, hey, let's get these guys to the majors and let's see what they have. Let's get this group kind of like the Brewers of 06, I want to say, when you had J.J. Hardy, you had Corey Hart, Prince Fielder, Ryan Braun, Ricky Weeks, right? They kind of came up with this, as this unit all within like a season, half of season kind of bridge. And it really led to a playoff team because they were all bought in together. If you hold Torkelson out another year, I think it may affect that mojo that you're looking for, but I love the guy long-term. I, I will go as far as to say I think Spencer Torkelson will be a Hall of Famer. Um, I've only said that like very strongly one other time, and that was with Jan Mancata, and I'm not looking too great as of right now with <laughs> Jan Mancata, but the talent, the bat skills, the youth, he could have a 15-year career at first base, hit 30 home runs, driving 100 runs, he will be the offensive piece of that championship team when they go back to the World Series. All right, and the next person I want to talk about is somebody who I have on my dynasty team, and that's shortstop Marco Luciano. I think he's going to be ranked number third on the top prospects next year. He's only 19. However, he's been steadily rising up um, the prospect ranks. He's been on Madden Mind's radar for probably two, three years, if not longer. And I believe last year at the beginning, I don't know if he was even on top 100 prospect list. And then I saw he finally cracked the top 100 right around 80 um, on MLB Pipeline. And this year they have him slotted 16th. He's put on, I want to say, I think it was 15 pounds of muscle in the offseason. Um, 
he's just got massive power. Um, a report says that he blasted a 119 mile an hour homer in the fall instructional league. Jesus so Christ. That's, that's when we talk <laughs> about exit velocities and the average is around 95, that's an extra 25 miles an hour and he's only 19. So, um, the other thing I think he's going to get a lot of hype next year because Brandon Crawford shortstop for the giants right now is on his final year of his contract. And, I think they're not going to bring him back. Maybe they move Mauricio Dubon over temporarily shortstop next year um, just to, you know, manipulate his service time, bring him up after two weeks or maybe in June. But I think he will be a good player to watch and keep your eye on. But what are your thoughts, Matt? Luciano is fantastic. And we were at the end of the draft last year. I think we each had $2 left. And it was decision time to decide who got Jason Dominguez and who got Marco Luciano because if we messed up in the fact of both outbidding each other, we were really going to cause some issues for each other. And thankfully, we you know subconsciously think, knew. No, that, I think I think before the draft, I think we knew we both liked those guys, and I think we said, "Steer clear." Well, I'll take I'll take one. You take the mm, other. Yeah. And I told you, I think if I remember, I told you. I'll let you, I'm not going to touch them, and I'm going to let you nominate. And the first one you nominate, I'll let you get for a dollar. And the second one you nominate, I'm going to swoop in and yep. get. So I, You're I right. got him for a second. You're right. And it, and it was hard. I picked I picked Jason Dominguez, and it was the long term. You know, I I really like the like possibility of this toolsy kid. Luciano is an absolute sure thing, man. I think he's top three shortstop in the game. I don't think we have seen a shortstop prospect like him since Carlos Correa. Tall, strong, great body type. You know, Correa's had these back injuries, and that's what's really hampered his career. But Luciano is going to be absolutely fantastic on your team. Him paired with Acuna as your franchise player is going to be really a special sight. All right, and since we're sticking it at three, the last one I want to talk about is near the end. However, I have high hopes for him. Um, is number nine at George Kirby, starting pitcher for the Seattle Mariners. As it sits right now, he is ranked number 92 on baseball, or MLB uh, top 100 prospects. And the reason why I like him so much is, well, one, he was a a first-rounder in 2019, um, 20th overall. But the thing that everybody's raved about is his control. I, I think he walked less than 10 batters in 2019, which is outstanding, and he strikes out more than a batter per inning he's got four um above average pitches and a fastball slider curve and a changeup. his fastballs could be a little um faster it sits in the low 90s but it can get up to 98 um it just reminds me of shane bieber when he was coming up um didn't have overly powerful stuff but he could just paint the corners and can get ahead and deceive um pitchers um but the Mariners also have Logan Gilbert, Emerson Hancock, Marco Gonzalez, uh, Justice Sheffield. So I don't see them bringing him up um, this year, and I think maybe he gets a chance next year. Um, but what are your thoughts on George Kirby, Matt? Yeah, I mean, that organization has some incredible talent, right? We've we've got a, a Seattle superstar like blossoming in a, a lot of these guys you know julio rodriguez kirby logan gilbert 
A lot of talent. Emerson Hancock as well, which we'll talk about in a little bit here. And you're forgetting the big one, Jared Kalenic. And Jared Kelnick. We can't forget the best prospect. But, Richie, kind of stopping on Kelnick, you think he's coming up this year, huh? Yeah, I see Kelnick coming up this year. I don't see it happening right away. The Mariners offered him a six-year contract, multi-million dollar deal, and he rejected it because he wanted to bet on himself. And teams only do that when they believe a player is major league ready. And I believe they think he is, but because he rejected the deal, I think there's going to be some service time manipulation. I don't see him coming up the first two weeks because that's going to seem a little sketchy. But I can see him near the end of April, beginning of May come up. And I think he's going to I think he's going to blow away expectations because he's going to be angry and have to prove he's going to want to prove some things and prove he's worth the money. Um, but what about you, Matt? Do you don't think he's coming up this year? No, I, I'm torn. You know, my logic says that, yes, of course, they're going to bring him up. And, you know, the contract shows that. But, man, those those Mariners are really, really, like, stingy people. And they've they've been, like, doing this for a while. I wouldn't be surprised if they hold him down a complete term, right, one more year. And if they do that, you're going to have people in Major League Baseball screaming at the top of their lungs that this is just a service crime and it really is service time crime but back to George Kirby I'm really excited to see what this team can do he is a strong pitcher I, I really enjoy his delivery so I think with him and Emerson Hancock and Logan Gilbert they have a lot of talent and it'll just be interesting to see which ones turn out to be the best all right I like it uh, Matt what about you what is your top 10 for 2022 so we're similar. I have gone with maybe a little bit of a different approach. The way I drew up my top 10 is based on 2022 performance or maybe expected performance as opposed to the kind of a broad top 10 that, you know, best talented. My number one is going to be Julio Rodriguez. I think him and Kelnick come up and absolutely tear the cover off the ball. My number two is a very big surprise. It's going to be Nick Gonzalez. Nick Gonzalez out of New Mexico State, drafted last year by the Pirates. My number three is going to be Riley Green. I think he puts on even more weight this season. His bat-to-ball skills are absolutely fantastic. Almost a 900 OPS in the minor leagues. Twice. Very impressive. Coming in at number four, I have J.J. Blade, Big power hitter out of Vanderbilt. Plays for the Marlins. They're finally going to get a bat in the outfield that can provide them some run support. Number five was a little tricky for me. Originally, I had wanted to slide Royce Lewis in there, but coming off the ACL, Rich kind of talked me out of it. I'm going to go really, really surprising here and go with uh, Jordan Groshan from the Blue Jays. I don't know where they're going to play him, but an extreme talent, good bat-to-ball, 6'4", infielder, a lot, a lot of talent with that bat-to-ball skill. Number six is going to be Max Meyer. I think in 2022, he may pitch out of the bullpen, may close games for Miami, and I think you see him in the rotation long-term. Seven, Asa Lacy, great left-hander, best left-hander in the draft last year, going to be a very good pitcher for a long time. Comps for me, Cliff Lee, going to take, obviously, time to grow into that. My number eight is going to be another shortstop out of the college ranks from last year. It's going to be Austin Martin. Again, overall, great player, kind of like Riley Green, just does everything well. Nine, aforementioned Emerson Hancock. And my number 10, a big surprise, is going to be Alec Thomas in Arizona. Very good all-around player. 
Richie, I don't necessarily need to go in depth on any of these. Are there any of these guys that you want to maybe hit on that weren't on your list? Oh man, um, I, I like them all. The one that I, I shouldn't say surprises me, but I'm a little shocked that you put him is uh, Alec Thomas. Um, I do like him. I just don't see him as uh, a top ten as far as fantasy goes. You know, he's got a great hit tool, but he just doesn't produce a lot of power. Um, he's kind of known for having a little above average speed. Um, but, but yeah, I, I just kind of give me a little more that's going to convince me that he should be a top 10. Or why, why, why you got this weird feeling in you that Alec Thomas is going to be uh, a breakout. So 2019, low A, he and high A, these are split stats. His OPS was 829, so nothing crazy. But what I see is a, a high bat-to-ball contact player that is still 20 years old today, right? Very similar to Riley Green. These guys got drafted young. They were skinny dudes. They were still growing into their body. And all reports out of Arizona is that Alec Thomas is a phenomenal leader and a phenomenal, uh, he has phenomenal work ethic. Those two things with high bat-to-ball skills out of a 20-year-old usually lead to multiple all-star appearances. Now, I know the power hasn't been there, but it also hasn't been there for Riley Green. These were guys that were drafted in the first round. They're guys that have had a high pedigree. I think they grow into their bodies, and I think you see a higher performance out of them in the major leagues than you actually are going to see in the minor leagues, because I expect to see Alec Thomas up at 21. 10 home runs in 114 games in high A and low A isn't a whole lot, but it's also not two, right? I mean, we've seen some of these guys hit three to seven home runs in the first couple of years of their careers and then go into the 17, 18, 19 range and then come up to the big leagues and hit 35 home runs. So Alec Thomas is really shot in the dark, but a guy that can do it all and a team in Arizona that I think it will be willing to play him, and that's the key. It's playing time. The last one I did want to really just quick touch on was Nick Gonzalez. Nick Gonzalez had some absolutely incredible numbers from New Mexico State. He had 12 home runs in 16 games with a 448 batting average. Obviously, his OPS was outrageous. It was 1765, which is just ridiculous. I really comp him to a Keston Hira. I think when Keston got drafted out of... Um, out of Irvine State, he was a hitter first. When he got to the major leagues, maybe the early, late minors, he started really switching his approach to kind of the launch angle. I really hope Gonzalez doesn't do the same thing. What are your thoughts on Gonzalez, and what do you see out of uh, out of him long term? I like him. I think he's going to have a better average and strike out way less than Kessin Hira. I think Hira has more power than he does. Um, I do think he's a little bit faster, um, but if we're being honest, for fantasy purposes, second base is a barren wasteland. So Nick Gonzalez is your best bet if you if you want to lock something up long term. Um, but but yeah, that's pretty much. I haven't done my full homework on Nick Gonzalez other than those um, few points. So I'm I'm very interested to see what happens. Um, in the minor leagues and get to a chance to see him because I didn't see much of him in college. Yeah, absolutely. But he before we move on to the AL Central, I do want to bring up two very injury-prone 
starting pitchers who have fallen off the map. The first one you have just outside your top 10 is Hunter Green, and then the other one is Brent Honeywell. Nice. Yeah. So I just kind of want to talk and get a feel of your thoughts. Can they get? Can they regain form? What do you expect out of them for this year, next year, years moving forward? So I have followed Hunter Green on Instagram, which doesn't mean much normally. Um, but Hunter Green's young, right? He's I think he's 20 right now. So I've followed him since he was drafted. At the time, I was still living in Los Angeles, and we lived by his former high school, which I was actually going to go watch him pitch, but he was bumped from the start because it was, I think, draft week or the week before draft week. So I was pretty upset about that. I think absolutely, and I, I mentioned the Instagram because this kid has not stopped working since the Tommy John. Every single day, it's workout videos. Every single day, it's him throwing. And you know, some of these guys are reposting videos of them throwing here and there. The kid's in different clothing every day, right? So I know he's working hard. I think Hunter Green still is a phenomenal player in this league. It's obviously, Tommy John at the age of 18 is never good, but get it done sooner, right? How many times have we said that with a guy in this league? Get it done sooner. So yes, I think Hunter Green comes back and pitches well. I just don't know when. That's why I was a little afraid to put him in my top 10. I don't know if it's 2022 or 2023. Brent Honeywell, though. Ouch. Two Tommy Johns. Shattered elbow. Issues with the surgery of the shattered elbow. This poor man cannot seem to get it right. I am really hopeful. I just want to see him have a major league career. So much potential and promise. Kind of just circled the drain. What do you think of both of these guys? Yeah, I, I agree with you, Brent Honeywell. Just too injury prone. I don't think we ever see him as a starter ever again. I don't think the Rays, especially with how conservative they are with their pitchers and players overall, that they would even let him go um, the distance to do that. However, it's a bummer because I think this is a guy who had five, six different pitches and was working on a seventh. So he had literally everything in the arsenal. Um, Hunter Green, I'm very excited, um, except for I'm worried he throws too fast for his own body, but I haven't seen the workout videos that you've mentioned. Maybe he is putting on muscle, building out his frame, going to be able to handle that 103, 104 fastball. Um, so my, my same concerns are with him is can he handle a starter's workload or is he going to be a long reliever type role. Well, I think um, I think it's interesting. You bring up a good point about the body type. And from what I've seen, he's a big kid. I was reading something interesting this week. Actually, I know a Syndergaard who's coming back from Tommy John surgery. They were asking in the article, will he dial back his slider? Because as we've known in the past, his slider can reach 93 miles an hour. So, Richie, I guess my question for you is, what do we see from Syndergaard this week or this year when he comes back? Is he still going to be throwing harder than his body can handle, or will he have learned to dial it back a little bit? I don't think so. I, I don't think we even see him until the middle of summer. I think I have a feeling he's just going to be a little hesitant coming off of Tommy John and doesn't want to um, hurt himself again. Uh, I know I've never had Tommy John or played at the professional level, but I've played football in high school and college, and I've broken bones, ligaments, and I won't lie, you know, when you, you step back on that field after that injury, you're a little bit hesitant, like, can my body truly handle this? Is my shoulder going to hold up on this next hit? Because um, I've, I've torn my AC joint, I've fractured my fibula, and um, so it, it is a little hesitant, it takes a little bit to get that edge, so I don't see him going full 
fledged 90 uh, mile an hour splitter and 101 fastball. So I do think we see a little bit lesser from him. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the same thing is to be expected from Hunter Green. It has now been, I want to say, two full seasons that he has not pitched. That would be all of 2019, all of 2020, you know, competitively. So Hunter Green's a guy to keep your eye on. If he's out there in Dynasty Leagues after your drafts, grab him. I, I really would urge you to. I think he's probably the hottest young arm that could end up being an absolute dynamite piece. And more importantly, he's got a name, you know, kind of back to the trade strategies. Sometimes these guys' names are more valuable than their talent, right? Like this, that's just what we've seen in our league, I think. I like it. Yeah, I completely agree with Matt, especially in our league. Sometimes just having that name and that flash that goes along with it and just being that top prospect at one point and, you know, you're the hot name um, that was drafted as a top five pick. Sometimes that carries weight regardless of what you've done in the minors. Which is sad, but, you know, I will use that to my advantage every single time. All right, guys, we went a little bit longer than we anticipated. So what we're going to actually do is we're going to skip the AL Central for this week. And next time we're going to cover the AL West, Central, and the East for you guys. That way you can get it all in one podcast. Um, So we want to say thanks again for listening. Is there anything else you'd like to say to our listeners before we take off, Matt? Next time we'll be shorter, I promise. (laughs) All right, take care, guys. Bye. Get back here.